Every day is so beautiful and has so many gifts wrapped up in it that you just haven't looked up and looked around to see. Um, and you're not promised tomorrow. And so being very, very hyper present in every moment that you get, I think to me is just like, that's been the biggest gift for me because I've just been noticing lately every single day is such a gift to get the day to interact, to get the day to be here, to get the day, you know, all of these little things that happen throughout our day, especially, especially as entrepreneurs, because like, like we were saying before we started recording, it's like you literally wake up and you're, you're feeling reactive to the day. There's so many things going on that take your attention that you're just responding and it's like taking a second to be hyper aware and hyper present and just enjoying every moment that you get because it's like you you don't you don't know if you get tomorrow or even the rest of today or even the rest of the day yeah welcome everyone to the ultimate shift join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness success and fulfillment are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life Welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. Today we have Crystal Douglas and you own Music City Sewing, which you design costumes and all kinds of things for artists. Is that correct? Yes, before the pandemic. And I still do costumes for artists, but um, the company has three divisions. One of them is soft goods. So that's like backdrops, riser skirts, piano covers, all of that. Um, the other division is costuming. And so that's me making costumes for artists. Um, and then the other one, which has stayed busy no matter what, um, has been merchandising. And so that's tagging and hem tag patch application for merch for tours, merch for companies, all of that. So, yeah. Wow. And you made quite a, a splash in the entrepreneur field. You've been recognized in Tennessee, New York Times, all kinds of You've been on the Gary Vee show of all things. Yeah. Um, so can, can you start a little bit by telling us, uh, there's a lot of different things I want to dive into. Not only are you a successful entrepreneur, you're also into the wild Mustang thing, which I am crazy about. I had no uh, idea. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's one of my, uh, it's my all time favorite horse, but, um, Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Where did you grow up? Uh, what you know? Did you grow up here in Nashville? And how how did you get from you know ten years old to where you are now? All right, I grew up in Florida, between Panama City and Miami. Um, was born in Miami, and then we moved moved up after that. Uh, and so a lot of my childhood was spent outside, either on the beach, on the boat, or in the dirt playing with horses. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I was really, really lucky and blessed to be, to be divided up in my time that way. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Florida and then I started out going to college down there, uh, and I wanted to pursue the music business. I wanted to work in the music business from the second that I graduated high school I was super, super clear on that. And so I went to school in Florida for a year and a half, a private Christian college, moved home, um, a year and a half later because they kept promising me the degree and it wasn't showing up. Um, and so then, yeah, I moved home for a second and then I ended up moving to Nashville in 2009, fall of 2009 to go to MTSU. Okay. Got in the music business program, did that. Um, By music business, did you want to be in the management side or did you actually want to be as an artist performing? No, I wanted to be in the management side or PR or marketing somewhere in that vein. Um, okay. 
And yeah, I, I played guitar and I sang in church and stuff growing up, but that's not ever a direction that I ever wanted to take professionally. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so then I, I got in school at MTSU, graduated from there, and I, I had interned at Universal, and then I had gotten a job on Music Row like two months before I graduated. So immediately started working as a PR assistant. Um, I did that for a while, and then I ended up getting a job in logistics so I moved into like live entertainment I realized like I felt like all I was doing was spending my time in an office mm -hmm. and so and that's not I wanted to be in the show I wanted to see the show I wanted to be side stage um, right. and so Nashville's the perfect place so anyways uh, I moved into logistics I started working on like local production stuff um, and moved on up to be running the, the load-ins, the load-outs, the crew calls and everything for all of the shows at Bridgestone and Nissan Stadium and Municipal oh, wow. and um, any, any major venue. Um, and so I did that for a little bit and then I woke up one day and realized that I was carrying three iPhones on me. I had stomach ulcers, my hair was falling out from the stress and I, I wasn't really happy. I loved being in it. I loved being on festival sites. I loved seeing all of the shows. Um, but I remember, um, I remember looking down at a call sheet one day and it, like, I never saw this before in a sheet, but I saw that the artists touring team had requested a seamstress be there. And coincidentally, I've sewn since I was a kid. My great aunts live in East Tennessee. Um, and they, like I was raised whenever we'd go visit them, they were always quilting, they were putting quilts together. Um, and that was like how they spent their time together. Um, like they'd play cards when they needed a break and they would quilt. And so they taught me sewing and my mom taught me sewing. So um, all of the years in Florida, like when I would ride horses, I was sewing my own saddle pads. Wow. I was like making my own breeches as a kid. And so, um, so it was always like I, I moved to Tennessee with a sewing machine as a hobby. And even in school, I had started an Etsy business and I was like, so gutsy the second I moved to Nashville to just open an, an Etsy store called Music City Sewing. Like, need, need a name, that'll do. Yeah. Um, so I had that name like in 2011 as an Etsy store. And so that kind of helped me pay through school. Um, so yeah. Bringing, you just made kind of whatever. Yeah, like back when I made quilts and I sold those and I was blown away at how much those were selling for on Etsy because like that was an afternoon of work, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I loved it, it was so fun. Um, but I never saw that as something that was like day job profitable. That was like side hustle profitable, you know? Right. Um, I never saw that as something that could pay the bills. And I also was still drawn into the sparkle and the lights of like live entertainment. Like I love being in that energy. Mm -hmm. All right, so bringing back to like seeing seamstress on the call sheet, I was like, that's a job? Wait, hold on, that's a job? That's a job in this field. And I was almost jealous of the people that I was hiring. So when I quit, I had ended up quitting, I think my last major show was the Rolling Stones at Nissan Stadium, back when it was called LP Field. And I think I, that was my last major show and I stepped back and I had no idea what I was gonna do. Um, but I knew that I, I wasn't supposed to be there. And so like barely had any money saved, um, quit. And I was like, it's going to work out. It's going to work out like a problem solver is never without a job. I'm just going to figure it out. And so I quit. I ended up like I, I had several different people asking me for help on different things the second that I quit. One of them was a friend who owned a software startup. Um, and so I came to work for him like 18, 20 hours a week. 
Um, and that kind of gave me a little bit of stability. That was like all working remotely. So like mm -hmm. we've been working remotely for forever. I understand exactly how that works. Right. Um, and then another one was like different production managers and tour managers would be like, hey, so we heard you have some free time. Like we heard you quit, we should do it. And they all like started to know that I sewed because I'd worked around them for years and I'd fix a patch or fix a jacket mm -hmm. or just like something super basic and simple. Um, and the requests started getting like bigger and bigger. Like, can you make a jacket for this artist? Like one of my, my first big asks was from Need to Breathe. Um, and they're like, hey, can you make this jacket? We have an idea for a mirror jacket. Um, and what's so funny is like after I did that jacket, uh, so many people were copying the jacket, like mirrors everywhere. Um, but yeah, like it, it escalated really, really quickly. And at the same time, I felt the grind of like cutting bridesmaids dresses on my bedroom floor and hemming them on like a $30 Craigslist desk. Wow. This, all this time you're working from home. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And little one bedroom. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, wow. yeah, no, I never even had a full size ironing board until like a year and a half in. And I was like, I should buy one of these. <laughs> like I had a travel size that sat on my dresser, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's so funny because like I was making Vera's jacket in my bedroom before I had like signed the lease on my first workspace, which is on Music Row, and it had, it was like all gray, and it had one hanging light bulb from the ceiling, and it had carpeted floors. It's just magic. And so, so uh, like I rented that space, I signed the one-year lease, because then Need to Breathe had asked me to make their entire 40-foot-long backdrop. Wow. And I was like, that's a bit of an ask. I never even had an industrial machine. I made the whole thing on a Brother Project Runway basic home sewing machine, and I look back on that now, and I'm like, I couldn't do that. Like wow. now I couldn't do that because of the tools that I have now. But yeah, so like we went literally from working 70, 80 hours a week in concert production logistics to I was like hemming bridesmaids dresses for $30 each. And like I was driving around East Nashville on an empty tank and like picking up dress after dress after dress and then randomly getting one request from a production team or an artist or whatever. And like they all kind of started filling the queue. Um, and then I was able to slowly back off on the work that I did digitally. But it was so perfectly orchestrated because looking back, I was learning every single tool that I needed to build and run a business and yeah. market and the strategy behind it um, for something creative. Not even at this time, did you know that or did you think that you would end up making a business out of this? No way. Now, and no and way. even up to not up to the point of you leasing the, the property. No, no. Like, honestly. I think I had scarcity mindset for so long that I think that you just thought that it was all going to go away. Has, yeah. I don't like it could be taken from you at any second mm -hmm. or, um, any amount that you could possibly generate, uh, is never going to cover your dream setup. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, you'll always have to have a side hustle or something. Yeah. Um, and for the longest time, like I kept working the other projects, you know, like, like PR freelance projects and, you know, helping different companies on the side to where when I looked up at one point, I was sewing for 60 hours a week and I was working for 35 or 40, you wow. know, because I was so scared to let go and like open my hand and go like, okay, this is like actually what you want. You know, you've been building into mm -hmm. it. Like, let it, let it pay you, pay yourself. If you had to do it over again, how would you do it differently? Oh my God. I posted something about this this morning. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, well, I would absolutely like grab myself by the shoulders and shake myself out of the scarcity mindset. I think I would probably have slept more because the work is always going to be there. I think I was so afraid to say no to anything that I said yes to everything. And I would have absolutely hired help. Like, 
on day two. I tried to do everything for by myself for so long, like scared that I couldn't afford the help. And like right now I've got three girls back at the shop sewing their little hearts out, helping me out, you know? Wow. Um, and, and sometimes it's 12 and sometimes it's nine and you know what I mean? Like it grows yeah. and scales when we need it to. And so, yeah, I would have absolutely hired help. I would have gone to bed more and not worked like 80 hours just sewing, like afraid to say no, you know, like mm -hmm. it, the work's going to be there in the morning. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of start out with that mindset because they, they really want this thing they're going for. But at the same time, if you haven't done it before, you don't really know that it's going to come. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, what's your advice to someone starting out if they if they were to say, hey, Chris, so I'm going to start, you know, chasing this thing. I guess the better question is, do you, where does passion and the work align with each other or do they not always? How do you find yourself in that realm? Because it seems like you kind of just fell into this thing. Mm -hmm. But what, what's your advice to someone wanting to start, but they, you know, they really don't have the, the map yet and they just, maybe they have to do that side gig uh, or would you just drop the side gig? I wouldn't That's a lot. This. That's a lot. Jump in there. <laughs> Is that a question? <laughs> yeah, um, just dissect that a little right, bit. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So I if you're, let's just do this. If you had to go back and game. say five years ago, yeah, what would you do different? If you had to say, if you met that Crystal, what would you tell her that you know now? Man, I'm happy with how I did it. Um, I definitely would have, I would have allowed myself some more space and room to breathe. And I think I would have. I undercharged for so long that forced me into the 80 hour work weeks, you know? Oh, that's, that's important too. Yeah. I like looking back on it. I really realized that like I charged half of what other people would have charged. And like, I, you know, it's funny. I just got a message from somebody. I run a mastermind uh, alongside one of my, my online courses. And I got a message from somebody saying, is this too low? And I mean, she literally was charging somebody like poverty wage for her work. And like her work, I personally know, takes about three or four years to master exactly what you were asked to do. Um, and that's such a, a common thing among the creative business, um, especially in the craft-based business, because specifically in sewing, a lot of people learned sewing from their grandparents and their grandparents saw them, well, that's a $10 product. Like my great aunt, aunt like she made a three-piece suit for somebody for $10, like, what? oh, like not long ago. Wow. Yes. So Can like, you even find the materials? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> no. And I'm, I was like panicking, like, what? Are you kidding? Um, but but it, sewing and I think other creative based businesses specifically tend to underprice themselves because there's so much heart in their work. There's so much creativity to it. Like if an artist was to tell you, like, what's this song worth? You know, like they're going to be like, I don't know. I wrote it in five minutes thinking like thinking like the amount of time that you put into it is what equates the worth where rather than yeah. the years of skill that you learn to be able to do that in five minutes, like that's what you're being paid for. Right. And so I think like now I have 20 years of sewing experience and I could look at something and tell you it's not going to work. I mean, I, we were just working on pieces for a music video shoot that's happening today, you know? And I was like, that's going to be ruined for sure. Like if you don't yeah. do this, you know, I can look at it and know, um, and that's what your clients pay for. And when you're first starting out, you don't know what you know and you definitely don't know what you don't know, right. <laughs> you know? And so you're kind of just like shooting things and seeing what's sticking, mm -hmm. um, or seeing, you know, what feels fair to the people that you're sending invoices to. And so I guess a long roundabout way to that would, would just be like, 
getting a better assessment of what the market is charging and what the market will bear before you go to price your services or price your products. Um, because a lot of people price from the heart and they don't price logistically and also going like, okay, I love this job, you know? Right. But how is that even in your industry, let's say, you know, need to breathe is asking you to create this jacket. How do you go about, that's almost a, a, a niche to where you don't even have any competition, meaning you're asked to do it because they believe in your skill. Right. And so then you can almost charge what you want or how do you, how did yeah. you navigate that? Is there, you know, what, what's your advice there? If, yeah. if, if you can't really compare it to something else, do you just, you know, what would your model be? Would it be, okay, well, this is my cost. Um, again, I'm thinking as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, this is my cost. You know, this is how much I'm going to charge for my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the creativity being so, the cool part about that is how do you put a cap on that? Yeah, I think I have it. Like I have a set day rate these days. Um, and it's like if it takes me half a day or a full day, like that's okay. what I charge plus the materials. Um, what I had learned in in startup world that really, really helped me was like taking taking your, if we're going to get tactical, yeah. <laughs> taking your, your, um, your materials plus your time and then adding a 40% margin that covers you tax-wise and covers the growth of your business. Um, and that helps me a lot because I used to price like way out among the fairies and not know, you know, just like pulling arbitrary numbers and, yeah. and thinking. And it's so funny too, because like, like I can throw out a price to me that feels ambitious, even though it's that framework and I've had people come back and be like, can I tip you on top of that? Mm-hmm. Feeling like that's way too low. So everybody has a different, yeah. like it's, it's what the market will bear. Yeah. I, I've found that the same in my industry. I think, I think too often, especially as startups and I'm not, I'm past the startup mode even. And it's, I'll price something that's, that's maybe the biggest project that I priced to date. Mm-hmm. And I think, Oh my gosh, that's so much money. And then they come back and they're like, you know, you came in 50% less than anyone else. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Now I'm concerned that I missed something. Yeah. And so I think it's so important to never underestimate your value that you're bringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk more about your business and then the pivoting that you had to do. But I also want to touch in that because we briefly discussed this before we recorded and then you kind of tipped on. What is what, you know, you said something to the extent that women that you listen to podcasts with women and they mm-hmm. tend to be more inspirational where men's podcasts seem to be more tactical. Mm-hmm. So from a women's perspective, what do you feel like you need? Like, cause I think men tend to want to fix things and that's where that comes in. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're, you're a startup and you're a woman and what, it, what is it that you feel is it, does the inspiration do more for you than the actual tactical steps or how does that, how do you fall in there? I need the inspiration on the front end, like get me hooked, inspire me that I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, that or like leave with that so that I feel like when I shut off the podcast or I close the book or I finish the blog, I feel inspired like I'm able to go out and do what the podcaster or whoever told me that I could do. Okay. Um, for me, I like, I don't know, I love, I love the stories and I love the inspiration, but I also need the teachable tools. Like I need mm-hmm. the tactical, the strategies. I've noticed that. I've noticed that a lot of women in entrepreneurship don't love sharing their tactical secrets. They love being like, I did it and you can do it too. (laughs) And men are like, all right, so go mode. This was day one. This was day seven. Day 17 in this business. (laughs) You know what's so funny? As you're saying this, I'm thinking about Jesse Isler and Sarah Blakely. And those two both, you know who I'm talking about? Uh -uh. Uh, So Jesse Isler is the founder of 
gosh, coconut water. Uh, okay. Sarah Blakely found its banks. Uh-huh. Um, I'm oh, showing yeah, yeah. you who Sarah Blakely is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did a she did a high built this episode. Yeah, so yeah. they she's always that go girl, you got this, yeah. and he's like that. This is this and this and this. And yeah. It's so interesting. I've never thought about that in that way until. Oh, it's 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 literally like it's it's a pendulum. Yeah. You know, and some people can swing back in like both directions and catch both, yeah. but I've noticed that like primarily female podcasters are so are so inspiration driven. They don't like to get tactical at all. So you think <laughs> you think the inspiration part to hook you uh-huh. to maybe get you to believe in your idea. Yeah. And then the tactical part follows and then you just mix it up however you need yeah, it. Yeah, you know, you know, I don't even mix it up. Like when I teach, um, I my framework is literally like I tell a story based on the topic that I'm teaching and then I teach from it and then I give a practical tool. Um, mm-hmm. And I've noticed that when I teach that way, people don't forget what I taught them. Like really? they remember because they associate it with the story that I told because they find themselves in the story. I love that. Yeah, that's story teaches. That's the, I need to actually write that down. <laughs> well, I'll listen to it and write it down. Here we go. Yeah, it's it's funny because for me, I think you're actually 100% on, uh, dead on on that is when, when I had a company that didn't do well, and so you call that a failure. And is it though? Well, not it is if you don't learn from it, but in the sense of money making or that yeah. company creating revenue, you know, basically giving you the life that you want, uh, it would, I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a learning curve, but people say your failures teach you. So in that sense, then I, then I really relied on inspiration, watching Tony Robbins stuff. Now I find myself to where I, I don't like the inspiration. Mm-hmm. I want the tools. Yeah. Tell me how to. So, so there, there's probably something to that is like hooking yourself with inspiration. But, um, but yeah, because now I, I just get annoyed sometimes watching the same people that inspired me before. I'm like, okay, I don't need the hype. Just give you me the, graduated. just tell me the, the details. Yeah, I'm hyped. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I graduated. Next I, level. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. So I gotta think more about that. That's that's an interesting take. Yeah. Okay. So looping back to your business, you you were kind of working from home. You leased a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, just at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, just at the time that you leased this around the same time, the we had the tornado here in Nashville. No, no. The, my first spot that I leased was back in 2017. Oh, really? It was um, Okay. So yeah, was that, that's that. where I started. It was okay. literally like a little carpeted room, like okay. one table. I still have that table. It was like an $80 Ikea table I bought on Marketplace. And like had one table, one home machine and like did a little pipe and drape for a fitting room in the corner. And then, um, I have my great aunt's mirrors that came from East Tennessee from her alteration shop. Um, and after she passed, they'd gone into storage and then her husband, my great uncle, um, he like brought me out to the shed and he was like, these are yours. And they were covered in wasp nests and everything. And I was like, great, thanks. (laughs) And I had to clean them off and drive them back to Nashville. And I was like, so terrified that a wasp was going to fly out at any minute. Um, but like, yeah, like that was my first space. And then, um, I moved into cannery, an apartment above cannery. And like, I got one big apartment, like one big loft. And I just put my shop against the windows and lived out of the rest of it. So technically I moved it back in with me. Um, and then the business grew like on the merch side where like at one point in time, we sent 10 pallets of merch up this old freight elevator. That was like a hundred years old where you literally had to like hang outside of the, out of your apartment. (laughs) To get or, it or into my apartment, yeah, to get it in, like wow, it was really, it was to a point where I was like, I need a commercial space, I need a loading dock. This okay, so you had employees at this point helping. You. I had all freelancers. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So, so it's a scalable sewing team. Okay. And so, um, specifically for the tagging, 
um, a girl, now she's one of my best friends, but um, she called me and she was like, hey, like, no, we have a lot of tags for a tour. And so she was like, we have a lot of tags. I was like, yeah, but what's a lot? Like a thousand? What like, do you call them tags? Uh, like the hem tag, this. Like oh, okay, tag. I got you. Just okay. a little tag that goes okay. on the garment, either a sales okay. tag or a logo brand of whatever. I got you. So anyways, she was like, yeah, but it's a lot. And I was like, yeah, what's a lot? And she's like, like 35,000 units <laughs> at times. And we need it in two weeks. And I was like, perfect, right on brand with entertainment. Yep, anything, like if you don't know, anything entertainment based is like, what do we want? We don't know, when do we want it? Yesterday. Like, that's entertainment, that's how it operates. Like it'll always be fast, it'll always be quick paced and like you have no idea. Like when I woke up on, on Sunday morning, I had no idea that I would be doing three music video shoots this week with Taylor looks for every single one of them, two TV appearances and like, in addition to the small batch manufacturing run that we just started. So you, wow. you never know what's yeah. gonna happen. Um, and that's entertainment. So that's why you have all these freelancers so you can tap in Scale as up. you need them. Tag in, tag out. Okay. Exactly, day crew, nice. night crew, like yeah. Creative. There's always somebody okay. saying, yeah. We sent 10 pallets of merch up this old 100 year old elevator and this was like six months into living there. And uh, I mean, you literally, it's a funny story because now looking back on it, because she barely knew me and she's like, what situation did I get myself into? <laughs> and I was like, what situation did I get myself into? I don't know, you're bringing 10 pallets of work to my house, you know? And like, it's an alley, there's wow. no garage. Like it's gotta go in my apartment. Right. And so all my neighbors were looking in the hallway, like. <laughs> what is going on? Yes. And so anyways, like you had to literally like lean into the elevator shaft and like pull the chain all the way, flip the switch, shut the grate in the right order, or you would get stuck in between the floors and you wouldn't be able to reach around it to pull it all the way. Wow. And like the pallets were way, we were way over the load capacity in the elevator. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and this is 10 times that we did this. We literally, the, the elevator would land at different heights next mm -hmm. to the floor. So the guy delivering with a pallet jack would be like having to get it up over like that final two inches or so. Wow. Like an 800 to a thousand pound pallet. Like it's hilarious looking back on it now. But um, I had turned that into my dream loft space. And then at the year mark, the owner was like, hey, you gotta get out, we sold the building. I was like, why Nashville? And so um, I ended up moving into this new space and, uh, and it, I, my landlord's amazing, but he was like, your business will grow for the space that you give it, you know? And I was like, yeah, not this big. It's not growing this big. We don't need this much. Run me half of this. And he was like, just, just grow into it. And he's so right. Cause it's pretty it full. Good. Like it's so full. And so, so yeah. So now we're in this space and we've been in it since like last October or so. Um, but I'd signed the lease officially on March 1st. I didn't sign the lease until I had set up contracts for the entire year. Mm -hmm. Trying to be the smart business person, right? Right. Well, two days later, the tornado blows right by the window. And like, we we're just lucky because like the insurance policies hadn't even kicked in. Wow. So like we would have lost everything. Jeez. And so, uh, life of an entrepreneur, by the way, that's we, it. we wing it. We wing it. Okay. Lot. I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday where I said, being an entrepreneur is basically like, you know how like a massive life decision would be like, I'm gonna move cities, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Being an entrepreneur is like making a decision of that magnitude every single day. Exactly. It's, it's euphoric highs yeah. and devastating lows and it's like you still love it. And it always affects so many other people other mm -hmm. than yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had 
Signed this lease, the tornado blew by on the March 11th. Every everybody canceled their tour. Every contract canceled, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." Just, so you were getting your cancellations. I'm just trying to wrap my head around as this. I was moving stuff in. It, like probably within a week's time, most yeah, of them had canceled. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, literally signed this lease, and then like everybody was pulling back. Oh, uh, we had pallets of merch dropping to prep for like a March April tour. And they were like, hey, send them back. Like, we're gonna return it because we're not gonna have the tax liability of holding on to that merch. We don't know how yeah. long this is gonna happen for us. So right. we'd rather pay the freight to send it back. And so it's like, I'm watching Steph walk in and I'm sending it right back out the door. And I'm like, well, all right. And, cause I, it, and it, it messed with me because like, I just, I knew that it was a move that I needed to make. Like mm-hmm. it, it felt very much like an act of obedience because I was terrified I didn't want to sign that lease. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I truly felt like I was like being obedient in doing that. Um, and I felt like it was exactly what I was supposed to do to, so to watch everything walk in and then watch everything walk right back out. Like I'm looking at it like as a control freak going, hold on, what do we do now? What yeah, are I we feel doing? betrayed at that point. Yeah. Like, like, do, do I, like, God, I, what happened? I yeah. swore I did what you said. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't trust your gut anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was more so like, yeah, yeah, no, this is what I want you to do, but not on your own understanding. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get to make the plan. Yeah. Like, you're going to do this in faith. Like, you're going to step through it that way, you yeah. know? And, I, I mean, that's what happened, so. Okay, so you you move in. You're, uh, you know, the tornado misses you. But but it's important to highlight that because that in itself kind of shut our city down for a week or two. COVID hits, and you're like, what so the my vendors were in the way of the tornado. Like, yeah everyone's stuff got messed up. Everybody was without power. Um, And you know what was cool about that, like a silver lining to that right afterwards is different designers around town who lost power or lost their space. I was like, well, I've got nothing but space, pull up a chair. And so I kind of became like this little co-working space for a hot second. Um, And everybody was pulling in their machines and their chairs and like, pull up a chair. There's plenty of space for you here. Like yeah. use the surgery, use the machine. Um, and so several different people were able to like get their projects out of their clients and make their rent. So nice. like, you know, that's nice. So I, it worked out. I feel like we have as a city, um, I think there's still so many people that probably feel forgotten because of COVID yeah. in, in that whole situation, which is sad because, you know, we, it was very much on our minds and then all of a sudden it's lockdown and then, oh, who remembers a tornado? But I thought about it so many times. Like, what about all those people that lost their homes? Where are they now? Yeah. You know, how do they? Everybody's so, so hands on right yeah. when the tornado happened. I mean, we went out. That's right. I had I was supposed to be at the Ryman the day of the tornado to tailor somebody, um, and I was like, you don't have to tell them. I'll call them back. Like, because our farm got wrecked. I mean, mm-hmm. totally. Just the horses were in the barn. Mine wasn't. She's. She's wild. She stays out. <laughs> um, but yeah, the horses were in the barn and like, thankfully none of them got like, too badly hurt, but the roof blew off. Like the arena wow. was gone. Like all of our hay covers, like everything was destroyed. Um, and so we were out there chainsaw, like we were out there working and like, I come from hurricane land. Like I'm used to it. You know, yeah. like I'm used to running chainsaws and dragon limbs. Um, and so like we were out there by noon, as soon as we could get out there, like pulling water out to the horses because like people, people don't understand you had yeah. no power. All of your plumbing got ripped out and we have like 40 something horses, wow. you know? And so, and then no fencing to even turn them. Like we had one yeah. pasture that didn't get wrecked. So now you have all of the horses that are all like scattered and panicked that we're trying to corral into certain areas just to get them out of the barn. You know, um, but yeah, like what a nightmare. So we were out there and like, I remember 
one day of volunteering within that week, we had like 150 people on the farm just picking up debris with us. Like it was, it was, it was so emotionally moving to see how Nashville pulled together. And then like a vacuum all of a sudden, like, Hey, we're told don't, don't go, don't go outside, don't help. And like, mm-hmm. it's crazy times. Wild. Still is for that matter. Yeah. So how, how did you get out of the, what did you do? You know, at that point, you're, everything's been canceled. What's your next step? What's your, um, okay, let's switch into uh, rescue mode or whatever you call it and yeah. make some pivot, adapt, change. I hate that word. I don't ever want to hear the word pivot again after this past year. <laughs> I love the word pivot. Do you? Absolutely. How much pivoting did you have to do? Oh, I, I'm dizzy. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to do that much. Uh, we've had to do some, but I think that um, the companies that are willing to pivot, pivot may not be the word, Right word, but to adjust, to change, adapt are always the ones leading innovation. Yeah, we adjusted. <laughs> and adapted and pivoted. <laughs> yeah, like, you know what's so funny is like, you sit still for a second and you're like, man, I am so smart. I built this company all on entertainment to be right in the field that I want to work in. I finally built something that allows me to be involved in every stage of live music, literally every stage. I get to be in the production. I get to be in the merch. I get to be in the costuming. Like I love my job. Love it. It, like, it's like, it's how you look up and it's three o'clock in the morning and you've been working since nine and like, you don't feel winded because you're thrilled to be there. Everybody yeah. else is like, yeah. maybe they should go home, you know? Um, but like, and then you look up and you realize, oh wait, every division relies on live entertainment and that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I sat at home for a week and tiny bit of backstory, February, I had launched the beta to an online course. So I had reverse engineered all of the tools that allowed me the sewing success, like the success of building a craft-based business. Mm -hmm. And I turned it into a modeled course. And I said, hey, like let's run just 10 people through this beta and see if it gets results for you too. And so I had launched it in February. Little did I know just how much I would be leading like come March, right? Like, oh, (laughs) all of a sudden, like the world that we're operating in and doing business in is now different. Um, Mm -hmm. from your supply chain to the way that you interact with your customers to your marketing strategy like has to be so empathetic and so warm and like an understanding and and so I had launched that beta and I was like okay this is an opportunity like you're definitely probably going to lose this space and I was like all right so I sat still for a second and I went ahead and I built a whole new site um, cause all I was operating on and I'd owned Crystal Douglas for forever, but I had operated on just like music city sewing. Um, and I went ahead and I built, um, my website as a brand. Um, and then I started just posting content nonstop, like how to thrive as a creative during an economic uncertainty. You know, like I started kind of creating the, the building blocks mm-hmm. of, of what we're doing, like digging deeper into what I'm teaching in my course. Um, and so I took a second to do that. So I took a whole week off all of last year and, uh, I built that and I re-strategized my lives of like how I would show up for the people in my beta. Um, and during that time, a Forbes article had come out about how like, Hey, sewists, seamstresses, we need you to make masks. And I was like, all right, we can get behind this. And I was like, all right, guys, like I'm probably going to go out of business, but I can pay you to make some masks. And so you're telling your, the the people that sewed for me. Yeah. I still had like a little handful because the winter is a slow season. And so I still had like three to five stitchers 
right. um, sewing, um, like the tags and everything mm -hmm. that we had just gotten in that we were planning to stitch right before they went back out on the gotcha. road. You right. know, the ones that got mm -hmm. returned. And so anyways, um, I was like, all right, let's just donate them and I'll pay you to make them. And it'll be what it is because there's no way we're going to keep like it's going to end. And mm -hmm. so like I had sent two industrial machines out the door to like go to people's houses. Um, and then I stayed working in house because remember, we didn't know, like we right. didn't know the details. We didn't know how you caught it. Like we didn't, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and so everybody was like, work from home, stay away. And so the first thing that I did was organize all of the details. Cause I was like, all right, for every five seamstresses, there's going to be 20 people who own grandma's sewing machine and don't know how to make these things. Mm -hmm. And so I uploaded several different patterns. I contacted different hospitals and asked them what they actually needed and not just like a wow. YouTube pattern. Um, and they were like, Oh my gosh, yeah, we're getting ones donated that aren't big enough to fit over this or, you know, and so they were giving me the details. And so I started organizing all of those details, um, and created a flow chart on the website being like, Hey, ever made a mask? No, come down here. This is the simple version for you. It is a rectangle, you know? <laughs> and then like all the way over to, are you a seamstress? Is this your jam? Like, here you go, print your pattern and go be free, like use cotton. <laughs> wow. Um, and then we also had a ton of elastic already. And then I have a friend who's a designer who had a swimwear line that she stopped, that she ended. So I knew she had a ton of elastic. So it's like we were having to be really ingenuitive because every supply chain was wrecked and everyone was buying mask elastic mm -hmm. to like do the loops. Right. Um, and so we were using lingerie elastic, like bra elastic, like we were using everything that we could get our hands on. And uh, I just, I just started sharing content like to help. Like I would look through Twitter, anybody like that said making masks, they would say, Hey, here's a link. Hey, here's a link. If you have masks and you want to donate them um, and just started kind of, being an aggregator of that content and that information um, and connecting with several different groups. There was a group here in Nashville that also uh, the woman who ran it was in PR and she was connected to several different hospitals. And so she connected me as well. Well, so then I did like the Gary V model of essentially just document what you're doing. And so I would roll out like a thousand feet of elastic just back and forth across the table, back and forth. Um, and I would do a, a TikTok video going, hey, you want to cut like a thousand pieces of elastic in two seconds? Here you go. And I would show them just rotoring, just big lines, you know, and wow. that would create a thousand pieces of elastic in minutes. Um, and those videos just showing how I did it, like how I hacked it as a business, how we do it, they went viral. Um, so everybody was like, oh, you know, and, and what's so funny is like, I might've sold 10 masks, but the rest of them just got donated. Mm -hmm. Well, then somebody from the New York times had contacted me and said, Hey, you seem to know what you're doing. Can we talk? And I started, ended up like, I ended up just being doing interviews left and right. And at one point I started turning them down. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. We're trying to make masks here. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're right. like, I know you want to help, but you're really getting in my way. Yeah. <laughs> like just being super, super like focused and like, no, 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 this is the goal. This is the goal. This is the goal. Well, then I got a call from uh, somebody that owned um, a sync licensing group. Um, and I was like, Hey, I saw what you're doing. Um, I want to buy masks from you to donate. Um, and I was like, that's like a lot of money, <laughs> you know, like that's like a lot. And he was like, yeah, we're trying to keep you in business. Like you can't go out of business. We're going to need you when the world comes back online. Um, and he was like my guardian angel. Like I literally need to start sending out Christmas cards just to send one to him. Um, his name is Scott Piscucci, who owns Concord music. And so, uh, yeah, as soon as we, I was like, all right, where do you want him to go? And he was like, just wherever you think they should go. And I was like, all right. And so send him a photo of them getting donated. 
Um, and he was like, you want to do this again? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, like stay in business. Like, can I tell my friends to do the same thing? And he must have sent an email around to all of Music Row because I had every label, every publishing group, every PR company, management company, like random people from all of Music Row was emailing and calling and texting me being like, hey, we want to buy a thousand masks. Hey, we want to buy 200 of them. Um, somebody from uh, Warner, like she, she was like, my my mom was in a memory care center. Like I saw you were donating them to those. I was like, yeah, we've been sending hundreds because like those certain areas were super mm. underserved in getting supplies. Because um, so you were sending them further than everywhere. just Nashville. Yeah. Uh, no, mostly in the Nashville area, okay. but we were also connecting different seamstresses that I knew nationwide um, to different like hospitals and organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were sending to Vanderbilt, we sent to Summit, Skyline, National General, uh, a, a ton of different ones. We ended up making like close to 8,000, I think was the, like the final count, like somewhere around 60. And how long did six. that take? Was that over a month or was that a week? Two months. Two months, yeah. I think two months. Um, yeah. And then we would start getting contract calls of people being like, can you sell these to us? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was as as the masks were starting to come back in to hospitals, like the you know the actual masks, yeah. <laughs> um, the N95s, and so so yeah, so we sold some, but everybody and their sister was making them and selling them on Etsy, and like at that point, I was good. Like I don't want to make these for money anyway. I would like. I honestly, I would, I would buy a mask before I make one at this point. I'm so sad. Yeah. I'm so good on the nine by six and a that? half with a six wow. and a half inch elastic on a quarter inch, like three fleet. Like I am so done. I'm so good. <laughs> I am so set on making masks. Um, but at that point I was like, we need a long-term pivot. Like music's not coming back. So it bought me time, um, not only to continue the plans of the mastermind and the online course, um, and the different digital products that I'd had my had my my heart on like creating for different creative entrepreneurs and like craft based entrepreneurs that I just started thinking I was like hold on here um, and around then Gary Vee kept doing tea with Gary Vee in the mornings and I kept seeing so many people innovating like so many people were hopping on being like I have this idea and most of them were too scared to start like we were talking about how you need the inspiration and Gary's mm-hmm. great for the inspiration yeah. um, and he's really I, he's super super practical though too you know but like all of these people needing inspiration to get started and like in the requests that I would get personally they started to take a little bit of a turn like from wanting masks to hey I've been sitting on my couch for three to four months and you know what I realized I have always wanted to start my own clothing line what do I do Um, and me being like a helper by nature, I'm always trying to like help people and so I try to turn it into like a a blog because Mm -hmm. I can't just repeat it all day long right. on the phone, you know? And so, so I'd be like, what kind of content do you want to see? And I just started creating that content. Um, and I guess that like, that's the strategy too, is, is to like get super, super practical, like, like create resources that actually help your, your ideal client. Right. Like, cause for me, when I think about building my business, I'm like, who do I love to serve? Like, who's my favorite client in the world? Okay. Those, those three clients, what do they have in common? All right. So what drew them in? Like, was it the brand? Was it the words, like the keywords, the SEO, like what actually drew them in? Cause I'm going to do more of that. And that's going to bring in my, more of my dream clients. So you target those three potential clients. I make my business look super, super appealing to my favorite clients. Okay. Um, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because for me, like I'm going to love every, like I'm going to love orchids 
and pastels, but my favorite client has a neck tattoo and drives a forerunner. And so, you know what I mean? So guess yeah. what? Our font's going to look a little different on the website and it's going to be super, nice. super strategic and it's going to be super tactical and straightforward. Um, and just like learning the words that they were calling and using, um, like cut and sew and like, um, uh, first clothing line, you know, rather than, um, certain words that I would think of, you know, pattern making and tech packs and, right. and all of that. And so I was like, we need a long-term pivot. Like let's launch small batch. So, okay. You have an idea for a clothing line. We're going to launch a division that just says, we're going to make your idea. So we're going to turn your idea from a sketch into a sample. And if you're ready to turn that from a sample into a product that's ready for a boutique or for online sales, then we're going to buy some equipment and help you do that. Yeah. And so since I think I launched that in late June, late June or early July, um, but since then, like we've been slammed. And I mean, there were several months where we were just running samples, like, and that's exhausting because yeah. <laughs> you're learning yeah. a new language every week to learn what somebody wrote or drafted or figured out, you know, you're just like solving problems for two months straight. You don't get to create a repeatable process and that's expensive and tiring. Um, but yeah, since then we've, we've, we dug into small batch really, really heavily and then as music videos have started to come back and um, merch has started to come back, like a lot of artists did drive-in tours this last year. Um, so everybody's adapting, everybody's yeah. adjusting. Um, and it's slowly coming back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're very strategic in your work. Whether or not you think that a lot of it's inspirational, you're very strategic from the thing of picking out your clients. Most people don't think about that. They just put their, their they, service they like, product out there. They wing it and they yeah. hope something yeah. sticks. Yeah. But but the most successful people, and I've had a lot of my mentors talk to me about designing that one or two people that you want to serve or mm -hmm. you know. So I think that's that's so powerful. I don't yeah. think I've ever had anyone touch on that. On Take your favorite client, like and go what a, like, create this avatar. Yeah, create that client avatar and go like, okay, or your your top three clients. What are your favorite what your what, you, what about them? Where do they go on the weekends? Like, what do they drive? Uh, how do they dress? Um, what, like, like, what's their approach to business? What does the copy look like on their website? Because most of the time they build, like, we unintentionally build things that serve us. Mm -hmm. And we think that our ideal client is what we want. You know what I mean? Like, yes. what they want is what we want. And so we're always having to put ourselves back in their shoes. And, like, so for the longest time, I would put myself in this role of being like, oh, well, what would I want if I was this artist? Well, that's not, a, that's not at all what, yeah. what he would want, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, or that's not at all what that merch client would want. Right. Um, like he wants to the point, like like put it in bullets. Like uh, I have, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy how much I've adjusted just based on those favorites because it's like bees to honey. Mm -hmm. Like you can reverse engineer it and go, okay, what do they have in common? Um, what... Uh, and if you want to get super, super technological, exactly which blind box did they, did they fill mm -hmm. their information into? Did they, did they get your email address? Did they text you or call you? They found your phone number or did they, um, how do they, how do they approach you? How do they get you? Yeah. You know, um, I, I take that and I blow it up at scale in every division. Um, so the way that I market to small batch is totally different than the way that I market to merch companies. Right. Totally different. Um, they have different wants. Like, you have to yeah. serve them differently. You have to be willing to adjust. That's really interesting. I could do a whole show, and maybe we have to do this sometime, on reverse engineering. Let's do because it. Because so many people don't do it. And even for myself, um, I don't feel like I do it enough. I, I tend to be so busy, I'm just I'm just go, go, go. And I don't mm -hmm. really take that time to analyze and get that strategic approach that, that you're talking about. And you I think that's... being reactive. Yeah, exactly. 
So I'm, I'm very interested in that. Unfortunately, we're almost up to time on that. But um, just a couple more questions. If you, um, what's, the, what's the biggest thing you think entrepreneurship taught you? About, about yourself. Yeah. I think grace for myself a lot because I tend to be, I tend to be so, so hard on myself and what I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard not to compare yourself. Um, yeah, I think being, being a lot more gentle with myself and especially like, like, so I got sick, I had COVID all of December and like being an overachiever, I've always been an overachiever and I've always been hyper, hyper focused on my work, but like I had to learn to have so much compassion and grace for like, like, okay, your body got you through an illness. Like it got you through a virus, like have grace for it. Let it sleep, let it rest, like shut off your phone, ignore the calls. Um, yeah, I think having a lot of grace for myself. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's so many lessons in entrepreneurship. Um, I, I also think, I don't I think my horse has taught me more about entrepreneurship than entrepreneurship has taught about me because it's like, like I've noticed working with horses, you might've experienced this. I don't know how much you've worked with horses, but yeah, my whole family is where we've all been horses our whole life. That's crazy. Um, well, working with Sterling is like, Horses mirror you. Mm-hmm. They mirror things that you don't even realize about yourself. Yeah. Like your body language, mm-hmm. everything about it. They're, they have opinions about your body language and you have to be intentional. Yeah. And so she's taught me like, she's taught me so many different lessons. Like you're, you know, you're the boss. You're not like, you have to be the boss. You can't always be the friend. Um, you have to have grace for yourself and empathy for yourself. And like, you have to, um, oh my gosh, so many lessons. Like I feel like she's taught me more about it and I realize it when I'm working with her um, to be hyper aware of how I'm, how I'm coming across with people, mm-hmm. like being more empathetic and more compassionate and more kind um, in how I lead, being a lot more aware of how I interact. With horses, everything is more instant. Horses don't have that... Um, we're, we're, we're going to push this down and F you right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and pretend we're nice. Whereas people tend to do that. Yeah. Horses are very, horses are very on you, uh, honest, very, very genuine, very, and you, you know, right away. And so people have always said dogs are man's best friend. I, I've always said horses are, I, I've had, I've learned more about myself from a horse than I ever have any human. It's a refining process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah. carried that into my entrepreneurship yeah. a ton. Like, like, I don't know. She's taught me to be so hyper aware of of every little thing that I do, that mm-hmm. it's translated over. It communicates yeah. over. Definitely leading a team as well, because that was a big transition too. You know, going from being like, "This is a one man show" kind of thing to, "Oh, other people depend on you, and you depend on them." Like when yeah. you grow to a point mm-hmm. where you depend on other people to get the job done, and it's your name on the line, like you have to learn how to lead effectively yeah. and lead exactly. with empathy. Exactly. Um, if you were given the world's uh, stage for, you know, five minutes, or you don't have to take five minutes on this, but what do you think the world needs to hear? If everyone was watching you and Crystal Douglas is coming on stage, how would you prefer to be remembered by, by what you tell people? I just felt so much anxiety just visualizing that. <laughs> don't visualize that. awful. Okay, let's, let's, let's make it simple. What do you think the world needs to hear today? The world today? needs to hear... Um, well, because of the season that I'm going through of like grief and loss, like 
a hundred percent every single day is such a gift. Every day is so beautiful and has so many gifts wrapped up in it that you just haven't looked up and looked around to see. Um, and you're not promised tomorrow. And so being very, very hyper present in every moment that you get, I think to me is just like, that's been the biggest gift for me because I've just been noticing lately every single day is such a gift to get the day to interact, to get the day to be here, to get the day, you know, all of these little things that happen throughout our day, especially, especially as entrepreneurs, because like, like we were saying before we started recording, it's like you literally wake up and you're, you're feeling reactive to the day. There's so many things going on that take your attention that you're just responding. And it's like taking a second to be hyper aware and hyper present and just enjoying every moment that you get. Cause it's like, you, you don't, you don't know if you get tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even the rest of today. Or even the rest of today. Yeah. If you could ask any one person, alive or dead, one question, who would the person be? Mm. What would the question be? I have to think on that one. Alive or dead. If you could get any question answered that you've always asked, who would you ask the question? I don't know. I gotta think about that. Most people don't know the answer to that off the top there, but I like posing it anyway. What's yours? Uh, I've never had anyone turn that on me. Um, How can you ask that question all the time and not be prepared <laughs> to have your own answer? Uh, I think that I would, um, I would always, the question, I don't, uh, there's so many questions. The question would always go to my granddad who passed away in 2013, mm-hmm. who was my biggest in- inspiration in entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I mean, this is coming from a guy who I remember the 2008 crash and I, and I remember asking him like, how do you, um, you know, what am I supposed to do with my business? How do I know what choices to make in my business? And he said, um, he said, the best way to live life as an entrepreneur is you live every day as if it's your last, uh, meaning you live your life personally as you want to. He said, but in your business, you can't operate like that. So you have to plan every day in your business as if your business is going to be there forever, despite the current economy or yeah. whatever is coming your way. That actually helped me tremendously in COVID. So to answer that question, it, it would be a question to him, I think. Um, yeah. I, I often, and, and I'd have to think a little bit about what, if I only got one question, what that would be. But, yeah. But. I wish I could talk. I don't, I, I, I don't know exactly what the question would be either. I wish I could talk to my dad's mother. I've always, like, I never met her. She passed away when he was 18. Um, and it's, this is so strange that this came up because I've had dreams about her that are so hyper clear that um so she was super super italian um and as i dug into my italian heritage i started learning italian i started you know like i i really dug into it and um a couple months ago i had a dream about her and i was i was super focused on a question that i had in business like i didn't know what the next move was um and she was in a dream and she was chopping up peppers in the kitchen and i could see her eye color and I'd asked my dad, I was in Florida last week, and I asked my dad, I was like, what color were her eyes? Were they green? And he was like, yeah, I never met her. I was like, what? Like, I never knew that. Wow. And so I almost feel like I got to ask her questions in a way, whether it was my subconscious or that was an actual situation or I don't know. But yeah, I wish that I could spend time with her and connect with her because so, I'm so connected to my mom's side of the family, but I never got time with my dad's parents. Yeah, you know, or or a question to her husband, to my grandfather, because mm-hmm. he was a pilot and he flew all over the world delivering supplies. Wow. You know, I mean, he visited tribes and all kinds of other crazy stuff. So it would probably be something to that, but but it's it's unfair to only get one question. Yeah, you get right. to ask it's, it's it all. Super hard question. <laughs> um, 
I want to acknowledge you for everything that you've done for the city, for the, you know, it doesn't take much to read up on you and see all the work that you've done and, you. and given towards uh, people in need. And, and uh, yeah, Josh was right. You know, he, he just said, you know, you've got to interview Crystal. That <laughs> she's got that. an Thank amazing you. story. You have an incredible story. You've overcome a lot. You adjusted more than any one person probably ever should. So many grace. Uh, How many gray hairs did you get last year? You didn't have to Last year? Oh, I, yeah. I have... Uh, Last year, I didn't. I honestly, I'm. I have this. Get out. I'm kicking I, you out of your own room. <laughs> I have this uh, brilliant mindset thing. I don't know where it comes from to where um, I don't. When COVID hit, I pretended it didn't. Mm -hmm. and, and to the extent that you can, you know, obviously, yeah. I'm going to the grocery store. My grocery store right. runs look different now. I'm wearing a mask, right. things like that. But. But you're not pivoting out of panic. No. Yeah. No, I. I I told, I remember the city was shutting down. I told my crew, we never stopped working, by the way. Never, yeah. nothing changed in my business. We actually- Wait, it's also a roofing company yeah. right after a Which tornado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we just did whatever. I was like, I told my guys, I was like, we're going to do whatever we have to. Mm -hmm. Whatever that looks like, we're going to do it. But we're, all I know is we're not going to stop working. And so it worked for me. Let's say I was in hospitality. Obviously, I couldn't do that. But mm -hmm. like- I tend to be, I'm very naive about the news. I'm very naive about political things to the point to where intentionally. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's not part of my life. It's not right. part of something I get involved in because the way I see things if, is if I can't control it, I focus on what I can. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I'm blessed in that way to be able to, to somehow, somehow I managed to go through life that way. And I, yeah. I live a very stress-free life because of it. So I don't know where it comes from. I maybe need to ask my parents. We had a um, lot of the same like mindset while working through it. Cause I was like, the world's going crazy outside. Y'all keep sewing. Like yeah. we have stuff to do. We have yeah. things to make. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, how can people follow you, find you, support you, find your courses, follow you on social media? What are your handles? Social media. Um, it's, it's all Crystal Douglas, um, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Um, Instagram, I'm on it the most websites, crystaldouglas.com. MusicCitySewing.com. Okay. And they can pretty much find probably anything that you offer yep. course-wise on your website. Yep. Cool. Well, I've really enjoyed having you. Uh, I appreciate you taking your time to do this. Thank you so and much so, for having me. Yeah. It's been an honor and a privilege. So that's it for today. Sweet. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.